Our second scripture lesson for today comes to us from the letter to the Romans, chapter 3, once again reading selected verses, and these verses are the basis for the sermon for today. A quite famous passage is in here that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. We hear from Romans 3. But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. In fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. What happens to boasting then? It has been eliminated. By what principle? By the principle of works? No, but by the principle of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to focus our thoughts today, we hear from Exodus chapter 18, verse 3. I'm going to read from the NIV 1984, and it will become apparent why I'm doing that in a moment. Moses is just being reunited with his family. We just had the Exodus, and he is explaining why he named his son Gershom. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Please be seated. Ger is the Hebrew word for alien. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this word alien is an interesting word in the scriptures. And it's one that the 84, the 1984 edition of the NIV kept and used, but today a lot of people don't use the word alien very much, maybe because of political associations, but I think more probably because people are thinking about like Star Wars when they hear the word alien, or Area 51, things like that. Extraterrestrials. That's what many people think of when they hear the word alien today. But the word alien itself just simply means stranger or foreigner. And, and so foreigner, right? Why is it so urgent, so very urgent that we no longer use the word alien and maybe translate it as foreigner because the NIV 2011 changed that word and made it into foreigner in, in the 2011 edition of the translation. I didn't, we use the Evangelical Heritage Version here, don't we? I did not look up what the EHV says as far as that passage. That would have been fun. Um, but, uh, well, maybe a little homework for you when you get home. Look up whether it's alien or stranger or foreigner on that very passage from Exodus chapter 18. But here's why I want to use the word alien and bring back the word alien. Because of this wonderful teaching in dogmatics and theology called alien righteousness. Alien righteousness. And I want to use amazing terms like alien righteousness. Pastor, that's amazing for you because you went to school for that stuff. I could see people saying that. But no, it's really a neat term because alien righteousness calls to mind the fact that 
It's foreign to us. Our righteousness is something that, that comes to us from outside of ourselves. It's not something that I myself am able to bring about or to affect. So why not use cool terms like that, amazing terms like that? Jesus spoke as one who had authority. People were amazed in the gospel lesson that Jesus talked about things in a straightforward way and just talked about how things were. And so true to form, we have an amazing teaching before us today from Romans chapter 3. And I'll read verses 21 to 24 now. I did prepare using the NIV 11, so there's going to be a couple differences in the translation if you're following along in the bulletin, especially at the end, and I'll point them out. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This section of scripture treats the topic of how we get right in God's eyes. And to set this whole thing up, God tells us that there's no way we can. There is absolutely no way that any of us in here can get right in God's eyes. And then, to further set this up in this section leading up to this, God then explains to us, and yet we all are counted as right in God's eyes because of Jesus. And so both are true at the same time. None of us can get right in God's eyes and God has made us all right through what Jesus Christ has done. And, and it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter if this is Old Testament, New Testament. When, when the writer there is talking about the law and the prophets, that's the first use of the word law, the law and the prophets, that was the Hebrew way of talking about the Old Testament. The 39 books of what we call the Old Testament were called the law and the prophets to the Hebrews, to, the, to those people. Israel, that's what they said. And so they testify, they testify that we need to be made right with God and that a righteousness has to come to us from outside of us. It's not something we can earn. Okay, pastor, tell me where that is. Well, I'm glad you asked. It's in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 55, or 53, verse 11. And it says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. By the way, the reason I messed up there is because Pastor Jenkins had a great note in his uh, introduction about how Isaiah 55 has the same thing too. It's very consistent. The Old Testament is very clear. Jesus was going to bear our iniquities. Jesus did that for us when he died on the cross. And so he bore our imperfections. And by imperfections, I'm talking about anything. We are so used to qualifying sin. Well, it wasn't a very bad one or it wasn't a very big one. But Jesus was completely perfect his whole life. And then he took that perfect life and he gave it for us on the cross in exchange for our sinful lives. And so this is why we call what he gives us alien righteousness. His righteousness is unblemished. 
His righteousness is a righteousness. He, he never slipped up just a little bit. Jesus Christ never kind of sort of did the right thing. Jesus Christ never did like 95% of what was supposed to be done and then was good enough with that. Hey, that's a solid A, right? 95%. He did it all, right? It's, we're so used to um, imperfection that we even build it into our sports. What's a good batting average in baseball? We got no baseball fans here? I'm in that big of trouble today? 300's decent, right? Guy hits 300, that means only seven-tenths of the time he sins. Think about that. It's, it's, it's built into everything that we do and think about, right? Allowance for the speed limit? Well, I was only going three over. He didn't pull me over, right? Jesus was perfect. Never a blemish. Never a mistake. Never once. And that is the righteousness that is given to us. Right? I can try hard. I can be the best I can. And, and, and I still will say something I shouldn't, do something I shouldn't, think something I shouldn't. I will still leave something undone that I should have done, left something unsaid that I should have said, and left something unthought that I should have thought. I will always do it. And Jesus never did that. And it's that righteousness, that perfection that is credited to us. It's foreign to us. It's alien. And that is what makes all the difference because that means it works. My righteousness won't work. My righteousness won't save me. My pretty good isn't good enough. God is perfect and he demands perfection from us. And you know, how he did that is, is through the picture of redemption that we get in verse 24. To redeem means to buy back. We buy something back, right? God bought us back. He bought us back from our sin, and the price was the perfect life of the Son of God. That's the purchase price. And Jesus did that for us. When it comes to our righteousness, we by nature want to try to stack the game in our favor. So we say things like this to God. God, you got to listen to me. you got to listen to me on this one. I've been pretty good lately, right? I've been doing pretty good, so you got to do this for me. But what about not lately? What about all the time? See, anytime I go to God in, in, in a boastful way like that, say, you got to do something, right? I'm going there on the basis of my merit, my ability. God, you got to do this. And, when you, and then you do this for me. You owe me this, right? Why do you owe me? Because I'm boasting. You should give me this. And any time we go there, it is such a dishonor to God. Because I was not honorable to him before. I wasn't that way my whole life. And then my boasting then just makes me look bad. Because I am bad by nature. But I need a righteousness that's not my own to go before God. And God's holy word shows us very clearly all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our righteousness will not work in God's eyes. So what God does is he takes the righteousness that Jesus Christ won for all people of all time and he makes that our own. He gives that to us. He, he brings us into possession of it so that we hold on to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it says the righteousness 
is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. It is given. It is a gift. We do not earn it. You see, I'm kind of harping on that point. We like to do, but we cannot do this. God has done it. We are passive. We receive. God has given it to us. And alien righteousness, then, from God is distinct. It's distinct from all other human righteousness because, first of all, obviously, it's from outside of us. It's alien. It's from God. And second of all, because it works. It actually does what it's supposed to do, which is makes us right with God. So Jesus fought us back. Luther said that if, if we have cheap grace, then we have a cheap God, right? And, and, and what he saved us from is huge. God saved us from all of our sin. This is important, too, because if you want certainty in your salvation, I want certainty in my salvation then God has to do it. And he has to have done it all. And it has to be completely done. It has to be the it is finished of Jesus Christ on the cross or it is not going to work. And that's what God gives to us. We need alien righteousness, a righteousness not our own. And, and what does it look like? I was talking about earlier when we would approach God on our own righteousness. Maybe that was a little crass. So here's some more subtle ways that we rely on our own righteousness when we approach God. This is what it looks like. God, if you would just answer this one prayer. Just this one. Or God, if you love me, then fill in the blank, whatever it might be. But these prayers come from a different place than where Jesus teaches us to pray from. Thy will be done. Or as Jesus himself prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. Thank God, God's will is done. Because he saves us from our boastful requests when we dare to ask God to do something, it is a form of boasting. Because we're saying that he owes us for what we've done. He owes me all, right? God owes me hell. That's what he owes me. For what I have done. And instead of giving me what I deserve, what does God give? God gives me and you salvation. Because he is a loving God. He loves us with an everlasting love. And he brings us back to him. And he is the one that makes us one with him. And this concept is called atonement. And that's what's in our reading for today. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Or he brings us to the atonement seat. Or the atonement cover. Or the kaporet, if we want to say it in Hebrew. Why not? Let's have some fun with Hebrew today. We said ger already for alien, right? He brings us to that special place where, where we are made one with God, where only God could do that work for us. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Where then is boasting? 
It is excluded because of what law? And here the EHV says principle. The principle that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. So this is where our alien righteousness really shines out here. Where did our boasting go? And on purpose, God is using the word law in three different senses here to play with that word, right? What do the law and the prophets testify to? The whole Bible, all of God's word? Well, they tell us about the fact that the law, do's and don'ts, God's will for us, that's the second use of the word law here, that God's law is something we never measure up to. But what's the law, the principle, what's the, like the laws of physics, that kind of thing, right? What's the principle that God has set? Well, he set the principle that he provides salvation for us, that he does it for us, so that it's good and done. Both of those are true. It's good. He did it perfectly, and it's done. There's nothing left to do, completely given. And alien righteousness is wonderful because it actually brings us salvation. Our boasting that God should do something for us because of who I am is replaced with trusting. That's where that word faith keeps coming in, right? God gives us that which clings to the promise of what he has accomplished. It trusts in what God has done because of who he is. Who he is. And he does not change. Verse 28, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This thinking is alien. This is alien thinking. We do not come up with this one on our own because we on our own want to fix it, make it right, do it ourselves. And that's what makes it distinctive, that it's alien, beautiful from God. And that's what makes it work, as I said earlier, in so many ways. While, okay, pastor, this is great. Dogmatics, theology, this is a whole lot of fun, right? You walk out of here, what's the one thing you're going to remember? Alien righteousness, maybe, right? Why does this matter so much? The reason that this matters so much is that there's no guilt then in our life as believers, right? If, if I'm depending in some way, shape, or form or a little bit on what I must do, well, did I do it enough? Did I do it all the way? Did I really do it well? There's always that aspect of did I finish? But for us who know that Christ is our righteousness, know that he has done it all, know that his perfection is given to us, that he died on the cross for all of my sins, where does our guilt go? It was put on him. Our guilt was put on him. He died. And, and then when I wake up in the morning and I have a righteousness that's not my own, what does God see in me when I wake up, no matter what this day of grace might bring? He sees his son. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. And he sees how well he did and how perfect he did. And as he said at his baptism, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And because of him, you can put your name in there. This is what makes this teaching so beautiful and this, this theology so wonderful. 
Because people in this world want the guilt to go away. But it only goes away in Christ. And you, brothers and sisters, in Christ, know Christ. You know him. Your sin is gone. Jesus has taken it upon himself. Well, that makes us pretty weird in this world, doesn't it? Maybe even alien-like. The irony here is that when we die, we're going to go to heaven. We're going to be extraterrestrials in that sense, I guess. Right? So we thank God for an alien righteousness. Because it's distinctive. It works. He gave it to us. Amen.